We began our day with the precursor of an Alberta clipper, which is set to dump a fair amount of snow across southern Manitoba. We checked in with Scott Kaler from WeatherLogix to find out what is happening with this system and what lies beyond. Winnipeg Jets continue to roll. They won again, beating Columbus, pounding Columbus. And we were joined for our weekly Wednesday Jets chat with the one, the only, Leah Hextall. In spite of the Jets winning ways, only 12,500 in attendance. Does this speak to just simply an affordability issue that had us curious? Where are you spending your entertainment dollars? And inspired by the Jets, specifically Mark Shifley's dad, we asked you about times you were late or how do you deal with that person who's always late? I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, January 10th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, Loren McNabb. And Greg, do we start with the impending storm of snow and ice? Or do we start with the storm that continues to rage on the ice? Well, we can touch on it. We'll get into greater detail in just a few moments. We will bring you the sounds of the game and bring you up to date on the latest exploits of the number one team in the National Hockey League, your Winnipeg Jets, just a dominating performance on home ice last night against a team that looked rather disinterested, I would argue, Uh, but that doesn't matter. You've got to take advantage of your opponents when you can, and the Jets did exactly that on home ice. If you don't know the score, we'll save it for you. We'll let you know in about seven, eight minutes time. So that's coming up with the sounds of the game. But, Loren, yeah, this forecast, it does not look good. Picked up my kids from school yesterday, and one of them says, I could use a snow day. And I'm like, you've been at school for two days. Like, How about we just <laughs> slow down on the need for a break? But then I looked, I, I, I was sending the note to you guys about what's uh, what's coming our way. And uh, starting tonight into tomorrow, yeah, we're in for, is this, what, are, what, what state are we blaming this on? Are we blaming this on Alberta, Texas, <laughs> Colorado? I think it's an Alberta Clipper moving our way, no? I don't know, either way. Um, I know some people are going to be happy about this. Uh, I do not have my snow blower, snow thrower ready to go yet, so it's going to be all shoveling by hand over the next few days at my house. So good thing I have teenagers. <laughs> the child labor. <laughs> Live strong. But uh, yes, Alberta Clipper. There it is, Loren. I see from Environment Canada and the snowfall warning they're talking it's about. It's not a Saskatchewan. Uh, what did David Phillips call it? Oh, what was that? Saskatchewan Squeebody. Screamer. Saskatchewan Screamer, screamer there I think. Yeah. And what was the Manitoba one? I don't know. Magic. Magical Manitoba. <laughs> anyway, the bottom line remains. You're going to see some snow tonight. You just heard in the newscast with Skylar Marnie Blunt talking about farmers. Um, you know, the more moisture, the better. Of course, we know there's so many industries out there and recreational things that rely on the snow. And so if you're looking to do anything snow related in the days ahead now is the time five to ten centimeters tonight the winds will stick around i don't think this turns into a snow day for the kids but i don't want to jinx me so i will leave that for the forecasters we'll speak with weather logic's scott keeler just after eight all right and yeah just looking at even the tomorrow environment canada saying like by the tomorrow afternoon northwest wind 40 to 60 yeah. kilometers temperature dropping to minus 20 wind chill minus 33 so yeah baby for those of you who are wondering where winter is, wonder no longer. It 
tis upon us. All right, so more on that at 8.05, more on the Jets and the sounds of the game at 6.15. And Leah Hextall joins us at 8.35 for our weekly Jets chat. And, of course, we've got our Wednesday Jets commentary coming up at 7.55. And at 6.35, Loren, we're going to head out east to New Brunswick to help uh, fellow Canadians celebrate her 60th birthday, and she did so in rather unique fashion. I think this is a really neat idea, and it has me wondering what other people might put on their list. Like, I think we might all create bucket lists that would include, I don't know, anything from a trip to maybe even running a marathon, which is something I foolishly say once in a while. I have no intention of really ever doing that. But this <laughs> New Brunswick woman uh, is vowing to step out of her comfort zone for her 60th birthday. That's the headline at globalnews.ca. But she's also encouraging other people to to make a list of things. Um, by She wants to do 60 new things uh, for her 60th. And, you know, it doesn't have to be those big ticket items, right? Like it could be that that food you're always going to try or that movie you wanted to watch or the book you were going to read. Like I think there's all little things we all might put on our list, kind of resolution-y, but, but maybe not as maybe major in the life-changing sense in that moment, but could lead to some life-changing things, Greg. I, I think it's important to push ourselves at certain points. And I think those benchmark, landmark birthdays are an opportunity to do that clearly. A lot of us uh, take January 1st and the new year as an opportunity to set some goals, to do some self-reflection and maybe see if we can push our own boundaries. What is it, the 9th of January today? 10th? 10th, yeah. How many how many uh, resolutions are broken? I think it's uh, on average about seventy five percent. Well, people I think Hal sort of... was saying uh, yesterday that people who do dry January yesterday was the day that they call it quits on that effort. So <laughs> oh, to yeah? get to like January 9th or something like that, yes. Yeah. So anyway, it's all well and good. So that's why I think stories like the one we're going to share with you in just a little bit here are unusual because we're typically not all that good at following through on these lists. And it could be as simple as just trying new things in your own community. Sure. There's so many things to see and do and explore that you might either A, simply not know is are there or B, you know, they're there. And it's one of those things where you're like, ah, I should go there. I should go try that. I hear people talking about doing that. And I always want to do it, but then I just go home and sit on my couch. Lots or of cool I ha- stuff. I have uh, three guitars in my basement. Can't play any of them. You know, could I learn one song? Could I put that on the list? Like there are things that you could do that they are just in your house, you know, that you've meant to do that you maybe purchased years ago. I think we all have them. Something you purchase, maybe it's even an appliance. Like I'm really going to get into baking this year and you get a big mixer and then it sits and collects dust for a decade. Like there, I, I, we're all guilty of that. Stay out of my kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) We have this big stand mixer sits in the corner. It's a bright pink, almost a fuchsia. Looks fantastic sitting on our counter I don't know the last time it was used. <laughs> really? Couldn't tell you. How big is it? How, like, how much space does it occupy? Uh, probably about two square feet. Okay. It's bigger <laughs> than a bread box. You know, it really is just like a decoration. Yeah, you, you leave it out on purpose, right? Well, yeah, because it's, so it's, <laughs> it's pretty. It's big. It's pretty. It's big, but it's it's pretty. I, I think we've had this talk. So you said to me once, you should get one of those mixers. Yes. And I said, oh, do you like yours? And you were like, I don't know. Looks good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like pretty stuff. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Heads up, 
Friday morning, we have a big, big, big announcement coming. So stand by for that on Friday. Also, in our next segment, we will tell you how you can win yourself some tickets for the Winnipeg Renovation Show. And it has to do with Mark Shifley's dad. That's going to be the inspiration for that. Winnipeg Jets star Mark Shifley. The Jets just uh, invited their mentors on their road trip out west, California, Arizona. Wasn't just dads. They also had brothers. Josh Morrissey's brother was there. Uncles. Uh, you know, uh, grandpa, I think Chuck is who's is it not? Was it Hellebuck's grandpa? Someone's grandpa. Uh, I started following them on Twitter. Yeah, Chuck like, Hellebuck is 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 Connor's dad, but he's he's become <laughs> quite popular on the social media. There's somebody else. There was a grandpa. I'll go there was him. a grandpa. I just can't think of who it was at the moment. Uh, Loren, off the top of my head, uh, Josh Morrissey, of course, lost his dad. A couple of years ago, so his brother came along, and boy, do they ever look a lot alike. And then, uh, of course, we know that Adam Lowry's dad, Dave, is a coach in the National Hockey League, so he's a little busy right now. Former uh, interim head coach of the Jets, former assistant coach, and so uh, Adam's uncle came along. So it was kind of a neat trip, and we'll uh, jump use that trip as a jumping off point for our conversation in a few minutes. And before we get into what we want to talk about here, uh, Loren, after we were talking about the Jets last half hour, and at 7.05, we have sort of a tie-in question as it pertains to the Jets and dollars. Well, look, you just outlined, Greg just outlined all the reasons to be excited about this team right now. Not just the on-ice product being first in the league and the role they're on, but the off-ice stuff. You mentioned the mentors trip. It was, it's been a fun week to watch this team. And so last night, I, I was not shocked, but questioning why there was still, you know, those empty seats in the stands. Not just a few. Um, I think it holds more than 15,000 and it was 12,500, uh, was the, number of seats sold last night. And so I have a question about where people are spending their entertainment dollars. And this isn't just about the Jets. You know, have you made any big ticket purchases in the last six months or so? Are you still going to the concerts and the games and all the rest? I know times are tough, but man, if there was ever a time to support this team, this is it. All right. So that's coming up at 7.05. But we sort of teased this last half hour. This has to do with a New Brunswick woman who took a vow to step outside her comfort zone before her 60th birthday, and she's inviting others along for the ride. Global's Shelley Steves reports. Let's get on an adventure. Let's do this. <laughs> Rachel Bernard steps into a sleigh for the first time, feeling as giddy as the little girl. This is my very first time at this age being in a sleigh ride. <laughs> I have never done this before. Just over a year ago, this New Brunswicker set a goal to venture outside of her comfort zone to take in 60 new adventures by her 60th birthday. It's an initiative she calls 60 by 60. So I decided that uh, I would let my friends help me decide what it is that I had never done before that they could do with me. Life gets pretty heavy at times and to get to see the fun, but also to be part of some of that was amazing. Tapping maple trees for the first time, tending to a beehive. Put the whole white outfit and the, you know, the, the everything. I just wanted to be around bees. I just loved it. Rachel reached her 60 by 60 goal by her diamond jubilee in October. There's something special about 60 and um, as it keeps going, it's good to keep doing things and keep active. Which is why Rachel is now inviting others across the country to grab some friends and launch an initiative of their own no matter what their age. She's inspired even this 26-year-old sleigh ride operator. I would like to go to the mountains in Alberta and go horseback riding and uh, see all the wonderful things out there. 
And maybe she's inspired you to actually do that. Yes. <laughs> After, you know, the pandemic, it seems like people were just really stuck in, in, and not willing to step out a little bit more. The time has come, she says, to step outside of our comfort zones and step back into adventure. It doesn't have to be anything big. If a friend says, have you ever tried this? Let's, let's just go and do it. Just do it. Shelley Steves, Global News, Upper Derby, New Brunswick. You guys know me. I always have two shows I bring it back to. It's The Office or Modern Family. And when Phil turned 50 on The Modern Family, I think he made a, a goal to do three or four new things. He wanted to learn a new language, at least how to you know be chatty in Spanish and, and have a couple phrases. He wanted to learn one song on the piano, and he wanted to learn to ride a unicycle. And he was going to do them by the end of his 50th year. And, I, and it, I've always, I think about that often because it's not the big things. I think we do set those big goals that are good like being healthier at the start of the year or or cutting out the alcohol or quitting smoking. Those are all really important. But as she said, there are the little things. Like maybe there's just that food you've always wanted to try or a recipe or other, Greg. Uh, thanks. No, I'm not uh, super adventurous <laughs> when it to comes to the food. Yeah, to oh, that that's fine. Going. Yeah, okay. yeah, but there's not going to be anything that I haven't tasted before coming out of that oven at the end of the entire process. It'll be uh, your favorite oatmeal raisin cookies yep. uh, in all likelihood right. coming out of There you go. I knew you wouldn't be uh, necessarily in favor of that. I hear you. And, and just, you know, as we were discussing earlier, those milestone birthdays, um, Valentine's Day, Christmas, uh, all those different holidays uh, can be landmark events, not only for yourself, but in your relationships as well, right? Uh, Valentine's Day, don't we uh, see a ton of breakups in the lead up to <laughs> Valentine's Day? What so, do they call it, the Red Tuesday red, thing? Or something like that. That sounds familiar, Brett. But, the you know, the whole idea of, of using these, these uh, different benchmarks as inspiration to have you think twice and reevaluate uh, maybe where you are in your life. I think it's good to take advantage of those. I know uh, one of my good friends right now is uh, is seeking mindfulness mm. in this new year and just being a little bit more aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then also just asking, like, you know, uh, I think Wab Canoe said it in his acceptance speech, this idea of, you know, basically saying out loud what you want in life, asking for what you want to get and sending it out there. And uh, that's one of the philosophies uh, one of my good friends has uh, been sharing with me over the last few days. Is that not from a book, The Secret? Could be. I think I feel like that was a very Oprah thing to like, if you, you need to put it out there, like, you know, send that out to the universe and ask for it and think about it. And the more you think about it and talk about it, the more that goal becomes reality. As an aside, that book was turned into a movie starring Katie Holmes and it's terrible. So, but, so save your time. <laughs> read the book just, instead. You know, read a book. Like, don't put that on your list of things to do. Okay. That's all. Like, but wa- the, don't watch the movie. Read the book. Yeah, read the book. Go ahead and practice the mindfulness. That's all great stuff. Save yourself two hours um, and don't watch that film. Okay? I, I should, just for me, I just ha- I have a goal to read a book. Oh, several, that's a good one. Several, here's this is something, just very quick tale of irony. Several years ago, Greg and I uh, interviewed, and maybe you were with us at that point, Loren, uh, in the... Uh, can't remember if it was, whatever. We there were the book was called Disconnected. It wasn't even like a, it was just an art book. It was just pictures, right. and it was called. It was about how like we're all tethered to our phones, and I was flipping through that, and I never finished that. Oh, a <laughs> because book? I can't put my put my phone down. So you I mean, I think it up. had some. It had some text in it. It was it was a very reflective 
book where you, you look at each picture and you take okay. some time to absorb it. And I never even made it through it. So put it back on the list. It's yeah. not too late. It sits right beside me. I'm like, it sits <laughs> on my table right beside my couch every home. day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. taunting you, isn't it? Not like Brett. Another year has gone by. Every year. You still haven't cracked my spine. No, every year. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, that's me, Loren McNabb. Greg, we're talking about times we were late. Why? Tweet from John Liu covers the Jets on television. And he was talking to Mark Shifley about the mentor's trip. By the way, thanks for the plethora of text messages. It was Laurent Brassois who brought his grandfather along on the mentor's trip. And John was asking, I guess the scrum was asking about Mark Shifley, about his favorite memory from the mentor's trip. And Shifley says um, his dad missed the bus from their Arizona hotel to the game. He was on his phone kind stranger at the hotel arranged and paid for Uber to get Mr. Shifley to Mullet Arena. Mark says his family is used to Papa Shifley being chronically late. (laughs) All right. So we want you to tell us about a time you were late, or maybe you have that person in your life who is always late. 204-780-6868. We've got Winnipeg Renovation Show tickets up for grabs. Skylar Peters in for Sarah McCarthy. Why don't we start with you? Well, you know how it says, like, uh, one of every three people is chronically late, so you look around the room, and Jeff Forche doesn't look like he's ever that late, and, you know, Greg is pretty much on time. I'm the guy who's always late for <laughs> everything. Uh, that being said, there is one offender in my friend group worse than me. He will go unnamed today. Uh, but uh, he doesn't always show up for the tea time on time. And it's just, you know, all the guys are sometimes on the first tee waiting for waiting for Buddy to show up. So we started telling him, you know, the um, you know the 7 p.m. Well, not 7 p.m. Let's say the 4 p.m. tea time is it's actually like a 3.42 or something. And uh, he's usually three minutes early for the 4. Or, you know, maybe 10 minutes early, maybe for the first time in three weeks, he gets to, you know, roll some practice putts. So we're just trying to help him out. That was a new thing we initiated this year, and uh, it's still gone unnoticed. So he's a, he's a, he's a trunk slammer. <laughs> oh, yeah, the trunk slam. That's the best term in golf, by the way, trunk slam. <laughs> he is a, I'm a trunk slammer from time to time, too, but he's a real trunk slam. Like a trunk, trunk slammer, and I'm going to probably meet you on the second tee. Oh, yeah. No, I've I, I know people have done that. I know there's one guy who showed up uh, and he he had to be carted out to like the fifth hole. He was so late. <laughs> like, what are you doing, dude? At that, at that point, I'm just not coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cameron Poitras, what about you? Well, um, the thing that is the most disappointing and perhaps the most frustrating, and then the people that are sort of in your way at that moment, uh, they sort of get the brunt. I've actually apologized to people at airports before officials uh, you know, the, the person working behind the counter um, and actually told them, listen, I'm not angry with you. I'm angry with myself for allowing this to happen. So if I seem curt or if I'm in any way seeming disrespectful, I apologize prematurely because I am just, I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at myself. Um, uh, the worst was when I was, uh, so excited to get to Nashville. It was my first trip. Like I was, I was out, I was uh, living outside of, of Manitoba 
every vacation day I ever had was spent coming back home. It was my first trip, like me and my best friend and my brother. We went to Nashville to go see the Jets play. Um, and I had to stop in uh, Chicago, and I stopped at Popeye's, and I thought I could make it. I never had Popeye's at the time. It wasn't in Winnipeg <laughs> oh, no. back then or in Canada, <laughs> and I missed my gate for Popeye's. Not worth it, <laughs> Better have been a good it chicken sandwich. No, it was awful. <laughs> it was so bad. Really? It was disgusting at what? that airport. He was so like here. I love it, but like oh god, at this airport, it was just awful. It was so it was so disappointing. Um, and so then, anyways, I I, met, I ended up getting to. It cost me like a little bit extra, and I got how I much got is to a Nashville. little bit? Well, fifty bucks. Well, not, that's not, not bad. that's not too bad. And how much later were you though? Well, it was like four hours. Luckily, yeah, that's it's a, like a lifetime in Nashville. <laughs> well, you know, like I'm sitting there in my that's my, a lot of fun you're gonna have in four hours in well, Nashville. Tell me about it. My I I showed up halfway through. Well, mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> leave it at that. But my my uh, my buddy Luke and my brother Shane were having a, having a good time. Uh, producer Jeff Forte. I almost want to blame the Disraeli for uh, <laughs> me being late. Uh, well, this was back when we were working at Polo Park, and I'm driving my car. This is when I drove to work. Driving my car, and just as I get onto the bridge, I hear a pop. And I'm driving, I'm like, oh, that didn't sound good. And I keep going, and all of a sudden, the, the low tire light comes on, and oh, no. I just made it over the bridge, and I had to pull over, and uh, I had to wait for CAA because I was not changing my tire at 5.30 in the morning uh, when it's dark out, and, uh, you know, it's not the best area, so I had to wait for CAA, so I was uh, late that time. And then last year, I was in my cab, and we get onto the Disraeli, and all of a sudden, the cab's tire just, like, twisted, almost fell off. So the tire's like off. We're on just went over the first hump, about to go over the second, and yeah, so I've stuck there and had to wait for a cab. That time I actually got to work. Like I think Cam was in the control room here. He was going to sit in for me until I got to work, but uh, I got in here. What was it like uh, five fifty eight? So I <laughs> it was just, right on time. I just made it. Just <laughs> made it. But I, I blame the, the, the Disraeli. I'm telling you, there's something about it. <laughs> and Lorraine, I think we got time to sneak one more in. Well, I'm deadline driven in this industry, of course, and I'm not a person. I'm, I mean, I'm sure I have friends who would say I'm late, but I'm, I'm not. I, I, can, I like to be just right on time, you know. Like if the deadline's six, I'll be there for six, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to be there at five fifty nine. I hate getting the, to the airport early. That's always a fight in our family because um, I do not want to be sitting there. Like I like to get there just in time. Just in time should be my nickname. I'm, I'm barely <laughs> on time, but on my wedding day. After spending a lifetime of being barely on time or maybe even late, I showed up to my wedding right on time, if not early, cued the music, walked down the aisle, checked with nobody if things were ready, get to the front. I'm just just excited to get married. And my brother comes running out from the back. He's like, ah, the priest isn't dressed yet. And I was like, oh. And then we just had to stand there for about five minutes and laugh it off. I almost should have walked down the aisle again. But I was too early. The one day of my life. So there you go. In the last couple of months, have you been to a concert, a symphony? Book of Mormon was just this past weekend. Did you go to that? Or maybe even a Jets game? Yeah, and I just brought this up in the last half hour that I, I'm curious where people are spending their entertainment dollars, if you have any. I, I get that, you know, 
the costs of everything are way up and it feels hard to put out extra cash for discretionary spending. But after tuning into the Jets game last night, I, I wondered just what the mentality was out there. We talked about this a few months ago, you know, attendance being down. But now we're talking about the fact that you know, we're the number one team in the league. They're super fun to watch right now. There's lots of great storylines to follow, you know, on and off the ice. We referenced in the last few games, it's been fun to see the players on the road with their dads, their granddads, the mentor trip just wrapped up. And that's been kind of cool to see, you know, them high-fiving each other in the box. It's really entertaining, I think, hockey right now. And yet the attendance last night was 12,500. That's not even close to a sellout. And I had said, guys, you know, I get it's cold and a Tuesday night game, like that's not ideal for anyone. But if ever there was a time to get out and support this team, this is it. And so I just was wondering what people are doing with those extra dollars. And I put those in heavy quotes, but where, where's your money going? Yeah, extra is a subjective term right now, mm-hmm. whether you have it or not. And what sort of priorities are you putting on that money that you might have left after paying all your bills? Are you stashing it away for rainier days? Are you planning a a trip that, you know, travel is as expensive right now as I think it's ever been? So there are probably a variety of factors that people are contemplating in terms of, you know, just how much life is costing them these days. I, I can't speak for anyone else, but I've mentioned before that we gave up our jet season tickets a couple of years ago. This season, 12 of their 41 home games are on a Tuesday night, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is just doesn't work in our household. Uh, me for obvious reasons. And, you know, we have other things that are going on and I, Hey, if I had the time and the money, I would be at every single jets game. I think there are thousands of us in that boat who would love to be there, but the cost for a lot of people is prohibitive I don't know if this uh, winning streak is going to, you know, severely increase or boost attendance and and what they're doing right now. I suspect that it will at some point. I mean, we saw over the Christmas break, the Jets had their three largest attendances, Mm -hmm. you know, in the season thus far. Um, So time will tell on that. And I'm never going to tell anybody how they should be spending their money and or their time. So, you know, uh, I I know there are people would love to be there and it's just super difficult Right now, I had to renew a mortgage yesterday on one of my on one of my rental properties. We'll be open and honest about it, and and the mortgage rate, uh, mm-hmm. you know, almost doubled mm-hmm. uh, based uh, compared to what we had on the on the house five years ago. And the it's not a huge mortgage; it's just over a hundred and ten thousand dollar mortgage left on this house. The payment went up one hundred and forty nine dollars a month. The payment went up nearly 30% versus what it was for the last five years. You know, it's not a ton of money, but it's enough money that I'm going to have to figure out where I'm going to find that $149 because I'll tell you right now, the rent's not covering all the expenses on that house at the old rent, at the old mortgage rate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know I'm I, I'm in a in a different situation with something like that. But that's an example of just how dramatic the changes can be for folks if they're renewing their mortgages. And maybe, you know, we are hearing story stories of people using their credit cards more often just to pay for necessities. And so when those bills come due, it it's, it's a shock and it can be uh, a little bit difficult to, to juggle things around and to manage to pay everything off 
successfully. So I, I'm I'm not overly surprised, nor am I overly concerned about the no. circumstance with regard to Jets' attendance. The Jets knew that this was going to be a tough year, but I, I, I think that that people will find a way to to go to these games, uh, believe it or not. When you consider too that you know now is the time, right around now, for most people, your Christmas credit card bill is due, and so that might influence just what you decide to hold on to for a little a few more months if you have to, right? You're making some choices or you look at it and you think, uh-oh, I went overboard, which I think very few people can honestly say they might stick to their holiday spending budget. Maybe there's better people out there than me, but it's hard to do. So your credit card bills are due and that's making a difference. But on the opposite side, I just did want to point this out because here, you know, we talk about... Um, it's difficult to part with your dollars, your hard-earned dollars right now for a lot of things because because times are tough. And then when we when we looked at the 50-50 last night, I it was ridiculous. $376,000 at that game. So, Greg, you got a bit of an explanation. It was a combination of different funds coming in. It wasn't just everybody at that game spent 50 no, bucks each no. on a 50-50 ticket. <laughs> no, it wasn't uh, everybody in attendance last night uh, looking to win the lottery. It uh, had to do with uh, some unclaimed jackpots, I've been told. Uh, previous Jets games, Moose games, oh. uh, some road games, that sort of thing coming all together. Someone that, that works in the organization explained it to me uh, this morning and but, uh, but we, we, we can get some way- details on that. We do a great job. Like that's a fundraiser, right, for the True North Foundation. That's then you right. get half the pot. I was at two games in the states just in the last couple of weeks. One was a football, one was hockey, and in both cases, the jackpot wasn't a hundred thousand dollars, let alone you know more than three hundred thousand dollars. So I just find it interesting that you know we we're tight with our money, but not for things like that. So good on you, Winnipeg. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Leah Hextall joins us at 8.35 to talk the Winnipeg Jets as they continue to dominate and sit atop the National Hockey League. They're a wagon, Brett. They are a wagon. It still sounds like my brain is actually having a hard time every time I say it or even think it. Yeah. The Jets are on top of the league. Yes. They have been for several days. Like it It wasn't a blip. No, Vancouver, I think, jumped ahead of them for about 45 minutes last night. Thanks to their win over the Islanders, but yes, uh, since since Friday, pretty cool. So we'll have more with Leah at eight thirty-five. But right now, we want to talk about how Alberta is invading Manitoba, Loren, because an Alberta Clipper <laughs> is moving into Manitoba, and it might stay for a while. Yeah, or at least long enough to make a difference for all you snow lovers out there. You reference the cancellations in in Westman, Rolling River. You know that's Minnedosa area. Could see some potentially tomorrow, depending on what moves through. Scott Keeler, chief scientist at WeatherLogic's tweeting, quote, I'm seeing a feature which will please snow lovers in Manitoba. He joins us now to tell us more. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Is the feature the clipper or is the feature how long it might hover? What's going on? Well, in that tweet, the feature I referenced was something a bit obscure, which is called an inverted trough. And that's part of a low-pressure system. So the Alberta Clipper is the the name of the low-pressure system, as you mentioned. And the inverted trough, it's uh, basically an elongation of the system on its north side. And without getting too technical on you, really what that means is that the system will stall out over Manitoba for longer than normal. Uh, Typically, an Alberta Clipper is a quick hitter, so it'll move through in a matter of hours and drop maybe 
a few centimeters of snow, but this one's going to last for uh, you know a good 24 hours, it looks like. Scott, I'm going to change our frame of reference here, and in, instead of blaming Alberta, we're going to thank them, because I, I think for as much as we've been enjoying this winter thus far, there's an acknowledgement that more snow is needed for a variety of reasons, not just recreation, but also the agricultural sector, which you, you work with so much. Just how much snow could we see uh, out of this system? And are there others uh, developing elsewhere that you're keeping an eye on? Well, from this one, it looks like the amounts in the Winnipeg area are going to be about 10 to 15 centimeters. The highest totals with the system will probably be in western Manitoba in the parklands where we could see 20 centimeters or even locally higher amounts. And then depending on other parts of the province, it will be a bit less. So southwestern Manitoba less and and some other areas less as well. Um, But as you mentioned, it's really needed uh, for all sorts of things from recreation. Farmers are wanting that for uh, soil moisture recharge in the spring and even, you know, rural folks who have septic fields would like some insulation on those before this really cold weather arrives. Well, and that's the thing. Will it provide enough insulation? Because the system looks like it's going to, to bring in some nasty wind and the temperature is going to drop and it's going to be, you know, not quite deep freeze, but it's not exactly going to be pleasant for the next week or so. No, I uh, know after this system departs, it's going to get really cold. So it's already gotten colder this week, but uh, after this system leaves, that's when the polar vortex is going to slide down from the north and give us uh, some really nasty cold weather starting uh, tomorrow and lasting almost indefinitely. So uh, earlier you asked about other chances for snow, and I forgot to respond. But really, it looks like mostly the cold weather. Um, not a lot of other chances for snow right now in the forecast, but uh, as I've talked about throughout the winter, it's usually these colder periods that bring more chances for snow. So while I'm not seeing any at the moment, I wouldn't be surprised if more started to appear uh, as we get more entrenched into this cold pattern. So, Scott, instead of Alberta Clipper, we should perhaps call it the you know Alberta Hover or something like that, the way it's going to sort of hover and stall over Manitoba for a bit. What's the timing then that we're looking at? Because I know we're seeing some of those cancellations in western Manitoba. What are we looking for this afternoon, this evening, in terms of when that snow will start to move in? Well, the worst of it is already underway in western Manitoba. So for them, the worst will be during the day today. And then for areas farther south, like Winnipeg and the Red River Valley, snow will gradually increase through the day. And uh, it will be the worst uh, tonight into early tomorrow. And then it will taper off during the day tomorrow. Um, and then once it, the snow tapers off, uh, winds will increase a bit. So there will be some blowing. It won't be a full-blown blizzard, but definitely some blowing and drifting snow uh, later tomorrow. And then that really cold weather sets in as a result with those strong winds moving in that colder air. All right, Scott, always a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight. You're welcome. Anytime. Scott Kaler is chief scientist at WeatherLogix, joining us live on 680 CJOB to discuss this Alberta clipper, which is bringing a bunch of snow. One of our listeners said yesterday, we sort of have two months good weather credit in the bank, right? <laughs> and so from that standpoint, I'm not I'm not even upset about this weather. No. It's about time. We really need it. I know the driving is going to be less than ideal over the next couple of days, but we really need the snow. And we probably need the cold too, just to sort of set things straight, set it a little bit more on a proper course here.
Yeah, my dog has been shedding like crazy lately, and I think it's because he thought it wasn't winter yet, and so maybe he needs to bulk back up. So much hair, Moose. So what is, much is, hair. Is he, is he like molting? It feels like it. It feels like is it's like it springtime. Honestly, it's insane. Oh no! Yeah, he's gonna snakes lose. are shedding their skin. You're be cold, and... buddy. You're well, gonna it's cold. gonna be it's gonna be a shot like they, I was that forecast for tomorrow afternoon. Of course, I'm just thinking Thursday's couch potatoes day. I walk home around two thirty, oh, three no. o'clock. <laughs> In, and uh, so I, I'm going to have to bring all the warmest clothes I have to serve to endure that walk. Home. You might be walking faster than most cars through the downtown and into the village. <laughs> Get ready to hear my Sorrells tomorrow morning. Oh, the clumpity good. clump. They are going to make a comeback for 2024. Even though the Jets are the top team in the league, if you ask people supposedly in the know who the top five cup contenders are, most would not say Winnipeg. Yeah, one example. Money Puck has the Jets as the odds-on favorite to finish first overall at this point in the season, but they have six other teams ahead of them in terms of odds to win Lord's St- Lord Stanley's Cup. We might be buying on the inside, buying into the Jets' success here in Winnipeg, but why aren't those on the outside? ESPN analyst and commentator, our good friend Leah Hextall, joins us now. What gives, Hexy? No love for the Jets? Do you, do, do you know why? Are people telling you why? Well, I think for, you know, let's just put it bluntly, I don't think that the Jets are sexy because they're winning by their defensive play. But the fact of the matter is, is you guys are absolutely right. When you go around the league, you're going to hear people say, yeah, the Winnipeg Jets, they're playing really well right now. But there hasn't been this buy-in that this is something sustainable that Winnipeg can continue to do from those who, as you guys say, quote unquote, people like me in the know. If you ask them, who's your Stanley Cup contenders, you're going to get Boston, New York, Vegas, Colorado. If they're even going to talk about Canada, they're going to add in Edmonton, Toronto. The reason Edmonton's got McDavid, Matthews in Toronto, Pasternak in Boston, Panarin in New York. You know, you've got McKinnon and McCarr in Colorado, and then Vegas is just the defending Stanley Cup champions. But Winnipeg doesn't have those marquee stars within the rest of the league. They have quiet stars who are getting the job done. The other part of this, guys, let's face it. We are in Canada. We love our game. The NHL is not a Canadian league. Seven of the 32 teams belong here. It is a United States league. The cup has not been in this country since 1993. But the Jets have a chance to change that narrative if this play continues and bring it back up to Canada and put Canada up on the mat. And don't get a chip on our shoulder, Winnipeg, because Boston got all the love last year and look what happened. Mm. Historic season out in the first round. And also, we're not alone. When you go to the top standings today, who's number two? Your Vancouver Canucks. And they're not getting any love either. One of the most popular t-shirts, young or old, in the sports store, Leah, for defensemen is the saying, I don't get many goals, but when I'm on the ice, you won't either. And I know lots of kids <laughs> and men, young and old, wear them. You know, it's not always used the term sexy. Defense might not be sexy, but we've held the opposition to less than three goals in 30 straight games. And so that should be talked about. But also, we are contributing on the score sheet. There's four points from the point last night. So let's talk a bit about what the defense is doing to prevent the goals, but also those offensive contributions. 
Loren, it's so great when you can see your blue line adding in. When they're playing as defensively sound as they are, and then they come up with those points last night, including Brendan Dillon with the game winner in that opening goal. I mean, it's going to be hard to beat a team that way. And, you know, Brendan Dillon said it best. We've shown that we can score goals in this stretch, but it's the team's commitment to defense and, most important, the blue line's commitment to defense that they are really impressed upon. And you hear Rick Bonus say this, time and time again, how much pride that blue line is taking in their defensive ability. So as great as it is to see them scoring, what I'm really excited about, and I'm going to give Mackling a little bit of credit, I never do that, he brought this to my attention, is <clears> what's <throat> going on. Oh, sorry, that, Leah. Yeah, I hear you, I hear you, <laughs> with that quote-unquote third bottom pairing with the Jets. So many teams have that top four on their blue line, but when it comes to having the depth of all six defensemen, the Jets have it. And I want to put Nate Schmidt and Dylan Sandberg on everyone's radar. This is the D pairing that gets the least amount of time on ice right now for the Winnipeg Jets, but this is what they're doing. And I'm going to talk to everybody a little bit about expected goals against. If you don't live in the analytics community like myself, I'm going to give you a really easy way to understand this. The best way, it's about shot quality. A team defensively, the lower, the better when it comes to expected goals against, because that just simply means your goalie isn't facing a lot of high quality scoring chances and when it comes to entering the game against columbus last night the jets allow 1.4 remember we want it low in expected goals against first 60 minutes when schmidt and dylan sandberg are on the ice that is first within the national hockey league in d pairs with at least 150 minutes played together in addition to that the jets have outscored their opponents and we talk about that scoring loren 13 to 4, 5 on 5 when Schmidt and Sandberg are on the ice together. That is scoring. That is defense. That is pride. And when you have all of that going on with your third pairing, I'm not quite sure how you don't find success. And, you know, you heard Justin Danforth from Columbus say it last night. He said, this is a team. They clog up the middle. They back check, forecheck, finish hit, block shots. They are a team that is going for the Stanley Cup and a team that a team like Columbus wants to get to be one day. Yeah, I think three of the four points that Loren mentioned came from Sandberg's two assists mm-hmm. and Schmidt with a with another assist, Brett. Uh, McGarry, there was a little bit of a scary situation potentially last night, though. Yeah, Mark Shifley, Jets star forward he took a puck to the head sending him to the dressing room so how scary a situation is this leah well i mean i don't know about you guys but when i saw that i couldn't help but think about brian little back in november of 2019 and taking that nick Ehler shot i mean this was a deflection a little bit different but as soon as i saw him grab his ear that just came through my body and i thought oh god because you know we know the circumstance with unfortunately with brian and the fact that it really did somewhat end his career um, but, you know, the good news is afterwards, Rick Bonus said that there was a few stitches and he didn't have much more to say, but we saw Shifley on the ice at the end of the game. And I don't think he would have been out there if he hadn't been cleared. So hopefully today we get a little bit more clarity of that. But, you know, it's unfortunately part of the game. But, you know, it was one of those gut moments for me. As soon as I saw it, I couldn't help but think about Brian Little. Before we let you run here, uh, just a comment on this. I think it's the fifth. Um, longest run of its type in NHL history, this run of Jets, uh, 30 games, giving up three goals or fewer. You talk about those goals against expected. Uh, I mean, teams can't be expecting to score a whole lot of goals when they when they come to town or when the Jets come to town right now, Leah. What, what, what is just so good about their five-on-five play in particular that's 
preventing other teams from getting those quality scoring chances on probably the best goalie in the league right now. I think it's all the fact that this team has bought in and there's not a single selfish player on this roster. They stick to their structure. They transition out of their own end. They keep it simple and they have a world-class goaltender in Connor Hellebuck. You know, I love what's going on right now. I mean, this this makes me so happy because I literally sent my boss a cheeky little text last night saying, when are we going to see the Jets pop on our schedule on ESPN and everybody buckle up for spring? Because I get so much grief for living in Winnipeg. Why do you live there? Oh, we got to go to Winnipeg for a game. And I tell you, it will make me so happy if come spring, I'm bringing all my friends from ESPN to talk Jets in the playoffs. Get your come up and Leah. Before we go, I have an off ice question. Speaking of something Winnipeg's doing really well right now as well is the 50 50. And this might seem silly, but I was in the States recently at a wild game. They don't sell hardly any tickets for their jackpot. And in Canada, like even in Edmonton, those jackpots are huge. Do Canadians just like this more? Do we gamble more? Like, do you any sense of what goes on in the rink when it comes to those jackpots in the States versus Canada? You know what, Loren? You are pointing out a fact to me that I didn't even know you're teaching me today because I know that our 50-50s are always huge here. I had a buddy, my buddy Darren, I won't say his last name because I don't want people coming at him for money, who won the Jets 50-50 once. And I was like, are you kidding me? That's how much you won? So they are huge here. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know the difference between the American and the Canadians, but I'm going to start watching that. Uh, who knows? Maybe I'll do a story about it and figure out the mentality. Or maybe you should just start buying tickets when you're in the American you games. You know what? Hardly anyone start, is. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to start. I'm going to try from between the benches. I'm going to try to get, you know, send money up to the top and say, hey, can I get a 50-50, please? <laughs> ESPN analyst and commentator Leah Hextall joining us live on CJOB. Leah, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, everybody stay safe in the snow today. All right. And we'll have more hockey on Jets at noon. And, of course, Leah Hextall, uh, great commentator, ESPN analyst, and uh, soon-to-be potential expert on the mystery of the 50-50 disparity <laughs> in North America. I'm serious. I don't – I mean, I've only been to a couple American games in different markets, but there is noticeable. Like, we just – like, we like – I don't know if we like the odds of winning. We could say maybe it's because they're charitable. Like, I don't know, you know, because half the money goes towards charity often. I don't know, Greg, but we love our 50-50. The last Seahawks game I was at was a long time ago. They didn't have a 50-50. My brother and I looked at each other. I think we could get away with selling some 50-50 yeah. tickets here. <laughs> well, at the <laughs> and wild, get out of town. At the Wild End Vikings game, they don't they didn't call it the 50-50. The hockey was a jackpot and there you don't even get half. Like I guess that's why they don't call it the 50-50. <laughs> but you only get maximum 10 grand. And at the NFL game it was only a maximum 40% of the profits. So they call I don't even know what that's called, a 60-40. How boring. That's boring indeed. Go Canada. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Winnipeg Renovation Show tickets up for grabs for this weekend at RBC Convention Center. We're asking you about times either you were late for something or maybe you have someone in your life who is always late. One of our runners up here is Ron, who says, there are two times. There's normal time, and then there's my friend Bill's time. Bill time was always a half hour behind everyone else. All the years I knew Bill, he was only on time once, and that was when he showed up on time to be my best man. Well, there you go. Way. That's when it counted. Yeah. Maybe. Possibly. So that's, Ron, thank you very much for sharing that one. And uh, then, Loren, do you see this one from 
Mo, who says the joke is on her. Yeah, I once left my job as a registered nurse to return to university. I was leaving a unit where everyone knew me and would tell me how I was never late. I was always early. La, la, la. On my final shift before returning to school, to university, I woke up, looked at the clock, and it was 7.15, and my shift started at 7.30. So that day, I had to phone in late. In between the exit celebrations, there was a lot of teasing. Oh, yeah, you're never late, they say. <laughs> Last day. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> way to leave your step as you make your way out the door, Mo. But Greg Robin is our winner today. Well, with regard to knowing someone who is always late, my brother-in-law is the worst. There is an LOL there from Robin. Just recently, we were celebrating my dad's birthday, and dinner was at 6 p.m. My husband told his brother to be there for 5 o'clock. Whilst, good use of the word whilst, we were still shopping at Sobeys because we knew he will not be there in time for dinner at 6. Well, we'd gotten home about 5.30, and he showed up at 5.45, all (laughs) worried, asking, am I late? Did I make it? Is the food still here? He was so worried that he was late, but he actually ended up being the first one to show up. Never seems to fail us by telling him to be there an hour before. Love is where his priorities are at. It's not, I'm sorry that I was late. Did I miss the food? Is there food left? (laughs) (laughs) Is it like, you know, there's just something about the idea that I can, there's a, and I I have a bit of this mentality. I can squeeze one more thing in and whatever I never really tries to squeeze in. It was is the thing that makes me late or barely on time, you know, like because in my mind, I'm like, oh, I could probably get that done. And then on the days when it works, I'm so proud of myself. Like, look at all I got done and I'm early. <laughs> like, And I'm looking around waiting for someone to congratulate me. It's not know. about the 10 times it works, McNabb. It's about the 11 <laughs> times it doesn't it work. It didn't. I know. I know. <laughs> so, Robin, congratulations. You're going to the Winnipeg Renovation Show, which is happening this weekend at RBC Convention Center. We've got more tickets to give away tomorrow and on Friday. And actually, tomorrow we are going to check in and have a visit with the Winnipeg Renovation Show to find out what is coming up at this awesome event. As the Canadian government continues to announce funding aimed at creating affordable housing, an American city many Manitobans love to frequent is being applauded for its work to create more affordable rental units there. Yeah, the city of Winnipeg recently approved changes in zoning regulations for apartments, fourplexes, and transit-oriented development as part of its efforts to secure over $122 million in funding for new housing from the Housing Accelerator Fund. Many of those changes, Loren, have been in place for years in Minneapolis, and those regulations appear to be paying off. So you found this story uh, from Axis.com, A-X-I-O-S. The headline says this, Minneapolis's housing policies should be a blueprint for other cities as they try to tame rising rents. That's according to Pew Charitable Trust researchers. And the report says that Minneapolis's development reforms, which have largely amounted to a let and build approach, have really worked. Joining us now to explain more is Alex Horowitz. Good morning, Alex. Hey, good morning. Glad to be here with you. Alex is the project director for the Housing Policy Initiative with the Pew Charitable Trust. And Alex, you know, when we talk about housing, which is in a crisis in so many areas, right across the world, really, for for a lot of countries, what are you talking about when you talk about development reforms? What did Minneapolis put in place that has changed the face of the way homes are built there? 
Minneapolis made a series of changes since 2009, but the two most important ones were they eliminated parking mandates. So that meant builders could decide how much parking to build based on consumer demand. So people got choices. They weren't forced to pay for a parking space if they didn't want one. They weren't forced to pay for a parking space if they didn't have a car, especially near transit and near commerce. And the other really important change was they made it easy to build apartment buildings near commerce and near transit. And with all this new supply, we saw Minneapolis really lead the pack on improving affordability in the U.S., I've uh, been to Minneapolis, to the Twin Cities several times in the last several years, Alex, and I'm blown away at this transit-oriented development. You'll see these stations uh, along the LRT line, and you'll see block after block of four, five, six, seven-story apartment buildings, and it's really quite impressive. Just talk about why maybe some of these changes are seen as controversial, or why do they meet resistance initially? Well, initially, some residents were worried that if they lived in a single-family home, they were going to see all of the homes on their block quickly convert to, to three units. But that hasn't materialized. We've seen that most single-family lots are still just have one house on them. A small number have two homes or three, but the biggest change really has been the increase in apartment buildings on commercial corridors and near transit. And I think there was also a worry that because this is mostly unsubsidized housing, it's mostly not built with any taxpayer funding, built by uh, developers, that that could increase rents because the new buildings would be fancy. But in fact, what we saw is that all of this new apartment, all of this new apartment supply that came online meant that there was enough housing for everybody and that reduced competition for each home. So rents in Minneapolis in the last seven years are only up by 1%. Well, in the U.S., they're up over 30%. Alex, it's Brett McGarry here. And I'm just I'm curious, I want to follow up on your comment about the, the parking spaces and the, the dropping the mandate to have uh, the parking and the developers can decide what they how they want to proceed because this isn't universal here, but it is often the case where their uh, a complex might not have enough parking and people have to go on a wait list to get parking spots and are sort of fighting to get a parking spot. So is that something at all that Minneapolis has dealt with over the years? So builders are still building parking. It's not that there isn't any parking, but parking is not driving building decisions in the way that it used to. So if somebody is willing to park a block or two away in a a private lot, they may pay less than if they would have to have their car be on site. And plenty of people, especially seniors and also uh, college students, people in their 20s, a lot of them don't have cars or a household with two adults that maybe would have had two cars in the past because they're paying for the parking anyway. It's included in their rent. Now they choose to have one car and share a car. And that flexibility is helping improve the number of people who choose to walk, who choose to bike, who choose to use transit. And it's not just in Minneapolis. It's in other cities in the U.S. too that are removing their parking mandates. You touched on this a little bit, Alex, but, you know, when it comes to the rents, that's part of it, right? We want to see new builds in in Winnipeg for sure, but people also want to have rents be in check. And so rents, you talked about the idea that they only increased between 1% 
between 2017 and 2022. Uh, how is that possible? Like, how, how, how do they hold the line on those rents? Minneapolis added 12% to its housing stock during those years, while the rest of Minnesota only added 4% to their housing stock. And we see that some of the most expensive cities in the U.S., San Francisco, New York City, are consistently adding less than 1% per year to their housing stock. So even though those cities have rent control and they do have some subsidized units out there, they're just not adding enough housing to keep rents in check. So rents are over $3,000 per month in San Francisco. Rents are over $3,000 per month in New York City. In Minneapolis, they're well under half that because they keep adding to their housing supply and that keeps affordability there for residents up and down the income spectrum. You mentioned in your report, cities like Austin, Texas, and Charlotte, North Carolina have followed Minneapolis's lead. And, you know, if you do any research on those two cities, those are two of the fastest growing cities in the United States and, and desirable places to live for a lot of folks. I want to ask you about downtowns and the struggle of downtowns. You mentioned San Francisco and New York specifically, Alex. We're seeing some large-scale rental uh, being built here in Winnipeg. In fact, the tallest building in our city is a, is an apartment building. So we're seeing some, you know, really large investment in terms of of rentals in our downtown, but so much more seems to be happening in the suburbs. Are downtown struggling to attract and keep people living there like right across the continent? We see that rents have bounced back in most cities from where they were pre-pandemic. And but really the decreased commuter traffic is what is causing downtowns to struggle and businesses to close. Cities have not made it easy enough to convert office buildings into housing and to build new residential downtown. Restrictive zoning is still holding back housing development in cities, even though lots of people want to live there near jobs and near amenities. I'm just curious, you just mentioned about converting office buildings, and we hear all the time, that when we talk about the state of the downtown, that challenges there. Is that, is that the way forward? Do you think that we will, we will have to, cities will be forced to change rules and how they do these conversions because there might be this empty office space that didn't get returned to normal post-COVID? That's right. Office vacancies are at an all-time high. In the fourth quarter in the U.S., they, they hit 20%. And so that's the highest that they've ever been tracked. And cities have just not changed the rules quickly enough to enable conversions to condos, to apartments, or even to dorms for, for college uh, students who, are, who often don't have on-campus housing at city-based universities, and also for others who would like to live in dorm-style housing, which tends to have much lower rents than even studio apartments. Is there a challenge for first-time home buyers in cities like Minneapolis, like Charlotte and Austin that you've highlighted that are doing things well for those that don't want to rent, that they, they would prefer to purchase, Alex? What, what is the landscape like for them? So we see that in cities that have updated their zoning, home prices do continue to rise, but more slowly than in the rest of the U.S. So the added rental supply means that people have more choices. And if they want to rent, they can do that more affordably. If they want to buy, lower rents mean that they'll be able to save up for a down payment faster because they're not spending such a high share of their income on rent. 
Half of U.S. households are spending over 30 percent of income on rent at this point. A quarter of renters are spending 50 percent of income on rent. So it is important to slow the growth of home prices so that they're not growing faster than incomes. Prices have been rising fast in line with rents for several decades now. Alex, this has been fascinating stuff. We appreciate you being willing to share your insight from south of the border, uh, from Minneapolis. Thank you very much, and uh, hopefully we can do this again. Glad to be here. Thank you. Alex Horowitz joining us live on 680 CJOB, Project Director, Housing Policy Initiative with the Pew Charitable Trusts.